0: Cove Today's office, Lamed Hay, we pick up in the middle of Lamed Dalla, Lamed Bet, um, and we are dealing with the debate in the Mishnah you know, between Rebbe Huda and Rebbe Mayer, how to read the Pesukim in the Torah that says, you split the live animal and the dead animal, where um, Rebbe um, Mayer reads it that, that the dead animal is worth nothing. It doesn't really mean you split the de- dead animal. It really means you split the depreciation due to death. Um, and Rebbe Huda says, no, you split the live and the dead one. Now, this only works out if the animals were of equal value as the Gemara has begun illustrating and the Gemara says that the point of Rabbi Yehuda that the uh, that the, um, the uh, Mazik is a part owner in the carcass um, you would think it means that he could also suffer the loss if the value of the carcass goes down, but that would make Tom more severe than other types of uh, than Muad and other types of Nezek, because other types of Nezek it's the nizak that fully owns the carcass so why here should the Mazik be a part owner and suffer in the loss so it actually winds up that the According to Rebbe Yehuda, the Mazik is a part owner only for the purpose of if the value of the carcass goes up, then he benefits in the in the appreciation of the value. So that's the debate of Rebbe Yehuda and Rebbe Mayer. Rabbi Yehuda reads the pasuk more literally and has the Mazik as a part owner in the carcass, at least for purposes of appreciation. Um, but now the Gemara continues on the top of Lamadal and Lama and the Gemara says like this. Um, okay El, Amar Rabbi Yochanan line starts with Yochanan about, ten, about 12 lines down Went to two, yeah something like 12 lines down okay El Amar Rabbi Yochanan so says Rabbi Yochanan Shavach Nevele Benayu the difference of Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda is if the carcass increases in value certainly if it decreases in value the Nizak suffers that that would be true in the case of a Muat so it's certainly true in the case of a tom. but if the carcass increases in value then the Mazik as a part owner then at least he gains. In some of that increase in value, Shvach Ike One holds even that's of the Nisak, like in other cases, that would be Rebbe Reb Mayer. Umarsaver Rebbe Yehuda. Note Palga that if half of the appreciation goes to the Mazik and that's the fulfillment of the verse that they split the carcass. Behind the carcass, That's what was bothering Rebbe Yehuda in the following, um, in the following breita. Since Rebbe has the reality that the take case of Tom, not only do you pay half, but you even get this extra benefit, the mazik, that you gain in the appreciation of the carcass. So he was, raised the following logical problem. Now that you say that the Torah actually has compassion on the mazik, goes easy on him, lets him gain in the appreciation of the carcass, to Shakya that he takes some of the appreciation of the carcass. So if that's true, let's imagine the following case. The Let's say an ox worth 20, Gordon ox worth 100. Now, the case of the Torah, right, or the only way in which the Torah's case makes sense, that it's fair, is assuming that the animals are worth the same amount. So when you split the live one and you split the carcass of the dead one, you wind up paying for half the damages. But let's say the actual values were different. Let's say it's the case of... Um, Let's say, the goring ox was 20, and the gored ox was 100, okay? You'll we'll make big horns here, so you see it's the one that's goring. Okay, um, okay, and now this goes down to 50, Okay, so... The actual damage was 50, they half, 25, which basically means the whole ox should go over to the nisak. Okay, but let's say you do the pusuk as it's literally written. If you do the pusuk like it's written, so they split this, they split the live one. Each one takes ten dollars from the live one, and they split the dead one. Each one takes twenty-five dollars from the dead one. So the Mazik walks away with thirty-five dollars—half of his live one and half of his and half of the guy's dead one. He walks away with thirty-five dollars. His ox to begin with was only twenty dollars. He gains from it, right? So this is why the Torah has to be talking that the oxen are worth the same. Because if this ox is worth if this ox is worth a lot more than the than the. Mazak will gain more than the damage done. If this ox is worth a lot more, then the mazik will walk away with a profit. Okay, so hechan matinu mazik nisgar. But how could that be? How could the mazik walk away with a profit? Shazen guard that this one should walk away with a profit. When did we ever find such a thing? The oh man, the verse says shalaim Pay vayli the, mishalim. The, the owner of the goring ox pays vayim vaylim nodlim. The owner of the goring ox doesn't take, walk away with a profit. Doesn't take something. So he's the one that pays out of pocket. Okay, my Omen. Now, why did you, now, so, the, and the point is, what underscores the bizarre now, because, you know, the Havamina, meaning the Gemara saying, what's the Havamina? Well, since we find, says Rabbi Yehuda, that the Mazik actually does get part ownership of the carcass and does get the increased value of the carcass, that the Torah is going easy on the Mazik, if the Torah is going easy on the Mazik, maybe it'll allow the Mazik to even walk away with a profit in a scenario like this. No, that's too absurd. It's one thing to say that he gains from the appreciation of the carcass. It's another thing to say that the Torah will let him walk away with an actual profit out of the whole thing. Okay, now, Ma'i Omer, why did you need to say a second pasuk? Meaning, why, it's, why isn't it just enough to say that you, you know, it's illogical that the mazik should get a profit? Why do you have to quote a pasuk that says the mazik pays and the mazik doesn't take? Ma'i Omer, I v'chit heima Hanemi lihei chadika pseide that's true in this case, that it clearly would be unfair, that the mazik would walk away with a profit and this and the Nizak would be obviously out money. Right? He'd be left with thirty-five dollars from an ox that was worth a hundred and he'd be walking away with a profit. That you don't need a possibil to tell you you don't do that. That's clearly unfair. the the Nizak, let's say there would not be a loss to the Nizak. What would be the scenario? To go insure Slaim shavu Slaim. Let's say each of them was worth twenty. Okay, Okay. but let's say, ironically, after this ox was gored, and it now is dead, okay, there's been an appreciation of the values, I'm trying to make it look less like a person, but I don't know if I'm succeeding. Anyway, let's say there's been appreciation of the values of dead oxen, okay, the market's gone up, and even now that it's dead, it's worth 30, okay, so if you split, okay, you've got 10 and 10. And fifteen and fifteen. Okay, so if you split, Mazik walks away with twenty-five a profit. But the Nizak also walks away with twenty-five, so he also gets a profit. Everybody wins. Okay, now obviously the Nizak doesn't really win, because if his ox hadn't been gored, it would have been worth even more. But at least he's not out money from prior to what happened, prior to the actual act of damage. So maybe in a case where the Mazik walks away with a profit, and the Nizak doesn't even lose money, maybe at least in this case you should say let's everybody, let's split everything. Okay, so since the Torah anyway says, says Rabbi Yehuda, since I'm telling you that the Torah lets the Mazik own part of the Navela, maybe the Mazik would be entitled to own part of the Navela, even if it would mean he would walk away with a profit I mean, not just own the Neveila to offset his loss as the value of the Neveila goes up but maybe he's so much as a part owner of the Neveila that it can even offset his profit Okay. Um uh, the om- so therefore it says um, so, uh, the Omer, the verse says, Shalem you shalem, bai li me shalem, No, I'm sorry. His ownership of the novella is enough to offset loss, but not enough to gate a profit. Okay, by the way, maybe a more reasonable scenario would be, let's say when the damage was done, originally, the novella went down to $10. Okay? And they each owned 5 But now, the market's gone up, and over time, this $5 is now worth 15 Right? so let's say that well since you told me that the Torah says that the Mazik gets half the novella and the Mazik gets the increase in value of the novella maybe even if the novella increases so much that lets the Mazik walk away with a profit because you told me the Mazik gets the, the appreciation of the novella so Yudah says no there's a limit he gains the appreciation of the novella to offset his payment but he cannot gain so much that he can actually walk away with a profit out of this whole thing ok so that's what Rebuta is saying yes the Torah goes easy on the Mazik it lets him own part of the novella in order that he gains from the appreciation but that's only if the appreciation <laughs> offsets his payment not to the point that he would actually walk away with a profit yes mm-hmm. sir so. first uh,
1: like just put horns on the dead thing and then I will <laughs> the first um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: it depends which religion you are. Okay, yes.
1: Is 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 a issue? It's one of rachaming or is it like a geneva Like in other words, I gored your ox, so I have my hand in
0: it in a way. oh you sort of like you you break it, you buy it type of a thing? Uh, that's an interesting perspective on it. Like you break it, you buy it, and you pay for the
1: loss. Machinery is something you've stolen. You've got a hand in it.
0: Yeah. Uh, I suppose but that would be a principle that you would pay for the entire as if the thing was worth 0 and then you should take full ownership of it. But I hear your logic. Like right? like if you're splitting everything. Yeah,
1: I guess I'm asking, is that in play here or is it a, matter of a No, you're right.
0: That's a good that's a good point. It's a good way of thinking about it because it is true that maybe the splitting is sort of saying like if I I get yeah, it's interesting. It, it, it gets to the general question though that by case of a muad then you should say you pay the full value when you fully own the carcass but we don't say that, right? It only works halfway. You only gain, that's what the Gmar's point is. According to this, you're only gaining if the, if the carcass goes up, not yeah. if the carcass goes down. All right, so the, but, but I hear the point. Right, so the Gmar says like this. If
1: the carcass goes up, then the one was damaged might have increased profit from it because rather than getting half, it's
0: getting more than half? Um, no, If it goes according to the view, if it goes up, Normally, the one who is damaged would get all the profit. But according to Abihuuda, the mazik here, the Torah goes easy on the mazik and lets the mazik gain half of the appreciation. But not to the point that he can walk away with the profit. Okay, so the Gemara says like this. Um... Um, so he says like this. He says, one minute. It's, according to this, um, that one minute, wait, wait, let me just kick Rafi. Um, hold on. Uh, right so Raji says let's say he says look if Rebut is going to be such a little reading of the possok let's take the following scenario let's say there was a case of 50 that Gordon Knox worth 40 okay let me just take one minute okay okay and then it went down to 20 okay so what would be what would we say in this case right we would say in this case okay split this 25 25 Split this ten ten, and everybody walks away with thirty five. Right? Okay. Everybody walks away with thirty five. So in this case, the mazik doesn't walk away with a profit. He only walks away with thirty five. The nizik doesn't work. Walk away with more than his ox was worth. He also only walks away with thirty five. Right? Everybody with me here? yes you see that everybody walks away with 35 in this case but there's a problem because even though he doesn't walk away as a prophet and he doesn't walk away as a prophet the mazik is paying more than half he's paying 35 right you with me here? So the problem is the Gemara Before ruled out for Eb Yehuda the scenario of like hundred and twenty. That would be impossible. Then the Nizak would walk away with a profit, right? It ruled out a scenario of the reverse, of twenty and hundred. That would be impossible. That way the Mazik would walk away. I mean, that way the Mazik would walk away with a profit. But Ravah says, but well, you can get a middle case where there's a gap, but not a huge gap, and nobody walks away with a profit, but if you read the Psukim literally okay, split and split, the Nizak walks away with more than half. How should that be that the Nizak should walk away with more than half? Okay, that's his question. <laughs> so you just split it, which presumably means, like you're never going to pay more than half. I mean, Yehuda's whole emphasis had been to go easier on the Mazak. But he's also a more literal reader of the Psukim. So we've excluded extreme cases where the Mazakh has a profit or the Nizak has a profit. But if you have a middle case, like 50 and 40, you'll have paying more than half. How is that possible? So the Gemara says no. Rebbe Yehuda, actually also agrees. In the end of the day, the mazik is only going to pay half of the depreciation of how much it went from being alive to being dead. Minale, where does he learn that from? That it says, you split the, the dead animal, which to him means, you split the, the depreciation due to death. But one minute. Rebbe Judas said you learn from that Pasuk a more literal read. Each one gets half of the live one, half of the dead one. Not the fundamental idea that you only get half, you only pay half the depreciation. No. Then that is to say, split the live, split the dead the gam also split the dead, Shmami Natarti. So the Pasuk is telling you two things. Number one, it's telling you a literal idea. You split the live, you split the dead for a case when they are both worth the same. In a case where they're both worth the same, right? if they were both worth the same, what would you have here? You have this, 35, 35. It had gone down 30. You would pay 15. If they're both worth the same, you do the math. And what winds up in a case where they're both worth the same, let's do an easier case, but right? if you had a hundred and a hundred, right, then what would happen if they were both worth the same? If they were both worth the same, he'd walk away, each one would walk away with sixty dollars, right? Which would be half, which would be, meaning pay forty, which is half of the loss, right? Everybody see this? Goes down from a hundred to twenty, it's an eighty dollar loss. If each one walks away with 60, so they split the loss. Each one paid, lost $40. So, Rebbe Yehuda holds in the, in the, the shot of the psukin tells you, you own half the novella, so you gain in the, in the appreciation of the novella. That's what we've been saying. But it also, the psukin can, should only be read when both animals are worth the same. Because if the animals are worth different amounts, it's either going to lead to paying less than half, or more than half. Or walking away with a profit, or walking away the other guy, the one guy walking away with a profit, Okay, or paying less, or, or a different amount than half. So you have to read the Psukim that they're worth the same. And the Chiddush is that you get half of the Nevelah. But if they're worth different amounts, right, if this is worth, whatever, I'm not going to do the math again, but if they're worth different amounts, then the payment will be different than a half. How does he know that the payment is a half? The pasuk the Gam et HaMet Yechetzu, tells you two things. Partly it tells you that they split the nevela and you gain in the appreciation of the nevela. But the Vagam tells you that you basically pay for the t- half of the total depreciation. That he's not debating the basic principle that the amount that's going to be paid is half of the depreciation. Okay? So when the animals are worth different amounts, you figure out the depreciation due to death and then the other guy gets half of the ownership of of the cow based on that, all right? So there really are, at the bottom, at the end of the day, nobody can read the Pesukim literally in all scenarios. You read the Pesukim literally in all scenarios, you wind up paying widely different amounts and you could get that the Mizuk walks away with a profit, the Mazik walks away with a profit, you pay a different amount than half, it's crazy. Everybody reads it that you only basically pay half of the loss due to death and that the nizak gets ownership of the cow or a lien on the cow based on half damages. Everybody agrees to that. The only bottom line difference is that according to Rabbi Yehuda, the Mazik gets a part ownership in the carcass so that if it appreciates, that offsets the amount of payment that he has to make. All right? Everybody pretty clear on that? More or less? As clear as you're going to get? Okay. It's as clear as mud. We're moving on. the literal carcass. The nizak, Well, it's not clear, yeah, it according to Rabbi Yehuda whether the mazik really owns half. It's funny that you could be a real owner, but only, it would only affect you if it moved up and moved in one direction rather than the other. So it's the way I would read it, according to Rabbi Yehuda is that the nizak owns the carcass, but if the carcass increases in value, it offsets the payment that the mazik has to make. Right? Because the Gemara also says, if it goes up, you, you wouldn't get a profit out of it going up, it would just offset your payment. Okay? So at the end of the day, the Pesukim are talking about the animals are worth the same amount. Everybody agrees that you pay half damages. And the whole debate is that according to the Yehuda, if the, if the carcass goes up in value, it offsets the payment that the Mazik makes. Alright, let's move on. Okay. Chayiv, now we get to a different topic. I mean, we're still with sure, but a little bit, a little, a, a little bit different in ancient. Yez Chayiv HaMasa Sharo Upatra HaMasa Atzmo. Patra HaMasa Sharo Uchayiv Masa Atzmo. There's some type of an ax. That if your ox did it, you'd pay, but if you did it, you'd be exempt. Or the reverse. If you did it, you'd pay, but if your ox did it, you'd be exempt. Ketan, what's the case? Shurisha B'esh, if your ox embarrasses somebody, putter, then you're exempt because you only pay for boshet the same way you only pay for tsar and reproy and chevet all those additional payments for personal injury those are only by case when a human being inflicts personal injury not when their animal inflicts injury if my animal gores somebody I don't pay hospital bills I don't pay pain and suffering I only pay damages so similarly for embarrassment if my ox embarrasses somebody you don't pay uh, but if you embarrass somebody then you do pay here's another case the ox gores out the eye or the tooth of the of a slave. Patur, you're exempt, because when the Torah says if you be- knock out the eye or tooth of your slave, your slave goes free, that's only when you personally do it, not when your animal does it. Mm-hmm. You're obligated, or meaning then the slave goes free. So that's cases where your ox is exempt and you are chayav. Well, What's showing the second case first? I have no idea. the Oh, you mean why? And so, I don't know, it's an A-B-B-A, it's yeah. a chaotic structure. Yeah. If your ox gores your father or mother, then you would pay your father or mother for the damages. But if you injure, do physical injury to your father or mother, and chavala means it's a type of a wound, where, so in that case, patoy, you're exempt because you're chayav misa, because if a person wounds a parent, then that's a, that's a punishment deserving of death. So be no payment. So that's a case where your ox is liable and you're exempt. Similarly, would leak at If your ox lights a takes a torch and lights a uh, a pile of a grain on Shabbos, you're Okay, that would be whether it be tsharos or whatever it would be. We had that whole case with the dog and the fire, but there would be some payment. But if you did it, you'd be exempt because you were Machal Shabbos. So we'd say kimle. Like, we'll talk about that in the gemara. In those last two cases, the reason you're exempt is because you've done a sin deserving of death and therefore that overrides any payment you might make. So let's take a look at this idea, Kimle. uh, There's like a whole parrach in Ksuvis that focuses on Kimle. Here we have it for for one little passage of the Gemara. All times, of times you do a malach on Shabbos, but the effect of the malach is to be destructive, okay, let's say one malach is, I don't know, is like, you know, is erasing. But let's say you had a, uh, you know, let's say you basically had a Shakespeare manuscript and you erased it. That would be an example of a Malacha. Okay, so let's say, so if you do a malach on Shabbos, but ultimately it's destructive, you are exempt with the exception of wounding and making a fire, okay? Now, because the Gemara learns it out from Sukim in a different Gemara, but you could also understand that those acts are acts that sort of, the paradigmatic version of those acts often have a very destructive component, right? Now, one version of wounding is shechting an animal, because you're wounding it, but ultimately you're turning it into meat. Making a fire can be very productive. You could be creating heat or, you know, cooking something. But there's also something fundamentally destructive about those acts, and therefore, he says that those acts, even if they were fully destructive, that's still a Malach on Shabbos and Yichayev. So this is what Rabbi Avo taught in front of Rabbi Yochanan a brighter. Amalei Rabbi Yochanan said to him, go teach that outside." Like, like he rejected that brighter. That's not a correct brighter. You know, whatever, forget it. Not, don't teach that. Do, don't teach it in the base medrash. Cholamavir ain't a mishnah. This it's not a mishnah. This teaching that your your for Mekalke by those things is false. The im so you're always putter for everything, even mechalkia, for mechalkia, even for those. The Yin Tim mishnah. if you say that it is a legitimate teaching, a legitimate right, it's only in the following case. <laughs> Not when you're a total Makalkel. There needs to be an element of tikkun. If you are wounding because you want some type of a thing, you know, a person, an animal, and you want to get the blood out, but the reason you want to get the blood out is because you want to give your dog some blood. Okay? Or, or you're burning down, you know, a nice, beautiful table, but you want to use the ashes, okay, so, meaning in the, in the, in the, in, you know, in the macro, it's destructive, you ruined a nice thousand dollar table, but it's not totally destructive, you had some constructive purpose from it, you wanted to use those ashes to, like, you know, do something with those ashes, okay, you You wanted, you destroyed, you, 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 you know, you wounded your cow and made a hundred dollars worth of damage, but you got some blood out of it to feed to your dog, okay, so. So basically I will concede that maybe you're higher for McAuco but you need an element of tikkun. If it's fully makalka, you would be exempt. All right. So that's the debate. Now, Let's take a look at our Mishnah. Shor Shahid as a Gedish for Shabbat. An ox lights a uh, pile of grain. Chayav, you're liable. But if a person did it, you're exempt because it's a Chil of Shabbos. who do you medisharo? It sounds like the act the person did is in a similar scenario as the act that the ox did. So ma'sharo do lo The same way when an ox lights a Gedish lights a barrel of grain it's not interested in the ashes right it's only doing it as a purely destructive act either as a mindless act or as a destructive act but it's certainly not doing it because it wants to benefit from the ashes so when you do it presumably you're not interested in the ashes it's a purely destructive act and nevertheless you see it's considered Chilu Shabbos so you see that 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 making a fire, even if it's purely destructive, is considered chilul Shabbos. That's the case by the ox. Presumably, that's the case by you, the Ketani Potter. You're exempting Nesu you Nidor show So because it's your you're, you're liable for a capital crime. So so you see that you're liable. It's Chil Shabbos even if you don't need the ashes. So the says, no, no, not necessarily. me the day. No, we'll actually say the opposite. That the ox is like the case of you. It's, it's, we don't the ox isn't intentional or isn't trying to get benefit we'll assume that a human being doesn't act because he wants to get benefit and that's the same as the case of the ox so mahu de the the same way if you burned down this uh, pile of grain presumably you had some benefit to gain from it you wanted to use the ashes I'm sure the so when the ox did it we would also be talking about a case that the ox wanted to get some benefit why would what benefit would the ox want to get so what would be the case them, what are we talking about? Bashur sure Piquet, a very smart ox. shaal It got a bite on its back. Okay, the Kaye, It wants to burn down this uh, pile of grain, the ingda bekitma, and roll itself in the ashes. You ever see like you know the elephants that they go in the mud in order to deal with like you know you know the, you know their, 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 their the, the, the bites the heat. Well, also the bites, right? Isn't it an insect bites? Maybe it's to get the insects off of them. I don't know. Anyway, so this ox wants to roll around in ashes, and it's very smart, and it realizes how to make ashes. You take a fire, you light a pile of grain. Okay? So that's why, but we're talking that, yes, you wanted the ashes, and that's why it's Chil Shabbos, and there could be a case of an ox just like that. So the Gemara says, um Dinan, how would you know that that would be the rea- reality of why the ox burnt it down? To the Vashadikavye, because after it burnt down this pile of grain, we see, coming to the kibbutz, we see it rolling around in the ashes. So you can figure out its intention. Okay. So the Gemara says, fine. Really? Does anything like that ever happen? Is there an animal that smart that knows how to do that? And yes, the Papa, there was an ox in the house of Rav Papa, the that its gums were bothering it. Okay, Iel is Isa, it uncovered a a, a barrel of uh, like a uh, of uh, of uh, of me- of mead or some type of you know a, a, a drink um, and the shasi shichron it drank and it drank the beer drank the mead the itsi and that helped its gums. So you have sometimes very smart animals. Okay, anyway, even the simple sense of our mission is you're burning it down to be totally destructive, and that's considered chil The Gemara says no; it could be a case that you're burning it down for the purpose of the ashes. It's not totally destructive, and only when you're doing it to serve some purpose would it not be would it be considered chil shabbos? I mean, okay. I I must have
1: been totally urbanized. <laughs>
0: you because think? Like,
1: in other words, a farmer you
0: would speak with like the, the discussion would be like this: is what animals always do, this is what animals don't do. I don't know what to tell you. Maybe. I'm 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 okay. Amaribah. about riba- now the rabbi said to Rav Papa, oh, yeah. how can you say di day? that we're talking that the ox is like you that that and therefore they both you know the same way you wanted to get the ashes that's what we would say the scenario is the ox wanted to get the ashes but let's look at the other part of the mishnah. Um, well, I'm gonna. Uh, the first part of the Mishnah said if an ox caused embarrassment you 're exempt if you cause embarrassment you 're liable now today if we say that the scenario is the same the type of similar type of intention is being referred to in the Mishnah so how could that be by the case of embarrassment you're only remember you're only liable for paying for embarrassment if you intentionally are doing are trying to cause embarrassment. So what would be a case that an ox wants to do something to embarrass the person that it's goring, right? So clearly we're not talking about that the animal has the same intentionality as the person being described. So the mother says, no, actually, you can have it it's true you don't have an ox trying to embarrass somebody but you do have an ox trying to inflict damage and if you and that's sufficient intention for a human being to be on embarrassment The that you are liable for paying if you intentionally inflicted damage even if you weren't trying to bring about embarrassment so we actually can have that actually is easier than the ashes case okay you and the ox are both trying to inflict damage. If you did it, you pay for bullshit, because in, intention to inflict damage is enough intention to pay for bullshit. But if your ox tried to inflict damage, it does not pay for bullshit. That actually is an easy case. And yet, the mission can be talking about the same intention that the ox has and that the human has. Okay. So, anyway, we've now explained that it could be by Shadis you need to have intention to create the ashes, some type of intention to do something constructive. And that would be the scenario we're talking about, um, and that's why it would be Kimle. Our mission is not talking about intentional, our mission is talking about unintentional, or Shogig meaning like like um, um, that you are not willingly violating Shabbat. Now it's important to know that a classic case of Shogig on Shabbat is either you forgot that it was Shabbat or you did not know that it was forbidden. But you are not a willful violator. And this gets Michael left, but this gets to the question Michael asked. Do you say Kimle even if somebody did an Avera without being intentional about it, without being willful about it? Okinatana, uh, like we talked about the Be'i Chizkia, like the Be'i Chizkia teaches, famous teaching of Be'i Chizkia about the parameters of Kimle. The Tana the Be'i Chizkia, Be'i Chizkia taught, Makeh Adam u Makeh It says, Makeh Adam ma. it says, Makeh Behima yishalmena u Makeh Adam mat. If you smite an animal, you pay for it. And if you kill a human being, you're put to death. So, the same way, if you smite an animal, you pay for it. Now remember, so if a human being kills an animal, he pays for it, regardless of circumstances. You don't make distinctions. Whether it was, whether it was you know, willful or not willful, unintentional or willful. Intentional or not intentional whether he was a downward movement or an upward movement that's based on like Gullus because you know when you're Gullus the sort of chopping of the wood and the the top of the uh, axe flying off the Gemara understands that it's only when you're moving your axe downward and the top of it flies off you get gullus. But if you're moving your axe upward and it flies off, you don't. So those are distinctions that matter in cases for gullus. These issues of Shogeg and mazid these might matter in cases of whether you do- have done an act of murder, an act of high of gullus. But when it comes to killing an animal and paying, none of this matters. Other u'ba'olam. You pay under all circumstances. In all those cases when you've killed an animal, we make no distinctions in any of those scenarios to exempt you. And we say in all those cases, you pay for killing an animal. So the same way that's true that you always pay regardless by killing an animal, so, by, so it's when you kill an animal, you pay for it regardless of circumstances. And you're when you kill a human being you're put to death Now, not, you're put to death regardless of circumstances you need to obviously be intentional it has to be an act of murder but we're reading it when you kill a human be- when you kill a human being you never pay for damages okay the oh, the only thing that can be done to you is, is 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 put to death there will be never any payment for for damages when you kill a human regardless of circumstances okay <laughs> don't make any distinctions though being shame whether it was un, not you know unintentional or intentional um willful not willful going up going down don't make any of those distinctions to say, oh in this case we're going to make you pay money no no But when a human when a life is taken or any capital crime is committed is how we're going to read it like you're always going to be exempt so the principle of kimlands is very important because there are two ideas about Kimle, right? One idea of Kimle is basically that it's learned from the Pesach of today. We right? Because based on your wickedness, you are punished. And the Gemara says, "Risha You make somebody pay for one wicked act not for two wicked acts, which basically means that if Basin is inflicting a punishment, they're only going to inflict one punishment, not multiple punishments, okay? That's a type of a thing we say that if, for example, you do an act that's deserving of lashes and deserving of payment, that you're only going to get the lashes you're not going to pay. And that's only when Basin actually inflicts the punishment, okay? That's a type of a Kimle, where it's because we're doing, inflicting one punishment, we're not going to impose another one. and we have to act. Impose the punishment. That would be a case of like malchus and mammon. You know, lashes and money. But when it comes to a case of a capital crime, that's a Kimley of a different category. Even if we're not going to impose any punishment, you, this person did it accidentally. Beshogeg, enomit kavein, all these things that there would be no basis. He Yes, he was mechal Shabbos. It was a complete accident. It doesn't matter. The weight of the act that it was a capital crime, even though it was not a scenario where Basin could ever punish the person, the weight of the act of a capital crime erases any monetary payment that could be made. Okay? So that clear meaning it's a very different idea of kimre. One idea is, we're not going to impose two punishments. What Chizkiah is saying is, when it comes to an act that's a capital crime, it has nothing to do with whether we're imposing the punishment or not. The fact that you've done a capital crime is so weighty that there will never be any payment of money. Okay? So in those cases we will never say Okay, so therefore, if somebody is mechalul Shabbos, even b'shogeg, they're not going to pay the monetary payment. So I'm So the rabbi said to Rava, is Mukum How can you say our mission says that you're exempt from payment even if you did it b'shogeg? You were you burnt down this uh, this wheat stack. The in Tani, The mission says you're, you're you're liable the death penalty. And you said if it's shogeg you're not liable the death penalty. So Rava says no. Here's what the mission. To meet. Since were you to do it intentionally, you'd be deserving of the death penalty. And the what would be that scenario? The Kabbalah Ifaro, that you want the ashes. Remember, this is getting back to that issue. Since there are cases of burning down the wheat stacks at that, you're chayiv, that you're chayiv, uh, Misa, that you would get the death penalty, which is what you did it intentionally, and you did it for the sake of the ashes. So since there are some scenarios of burning that down, that, you're, that you would actually get the death penalty even though that's not true in this scenario this scenario it was unintentional nevertheless it's enough of an act of Chilu Shabbos that you do not pay so Nido Menasher does that mean right now you're deserving the death penalty it means the nature of the act is one that it could bring about the death penalty under other circumstances and therefore that is enough to exempt you so we have a very important principle that we say Kimle when it's something that is liable to death penalty it's a capital crime even if we're not imposing it, even if it's Bishoget. Okay, that's a very important principle about Kimle. Now, how did this address the question we asked about Shabbos, about Tzarech A Eifaro? What's the still scenario? How do you address the case in the Mishnah? Uh, is the guy understood to be burning down the wheat stack for the sake of the ashes? So Rashi says, no. Once the Gemara is saying, intent doesn't matter, you say Kimle regardless of intent, that would be true, even if, your intent was to not not for the sake of the ashes right? that seems to be the point of Rubber's answer right? Rubber's answer seems to be look, you don't need intent to say Kimle even Beshogeg you would say Kimle remember, what was the first question? the first question was where is the guy doing it for the sake of the ashes in the Mishnah? And the answer seems to be, well, you don't need intent because we're talking about, you say, Kimle, even Beshoge. Everybody with me? Yes? Okay, Tosus' is answer, says there's one minute. There's a huge difference. If I, if I, in one case, I am not willingly violating Shabbat. I think that it is Sunday or I don't think it's usher to do this on Shabbat but the act that I'm doing is an act of Chil of Shabbos I am burning down the wheat stack for the sake of the ashes that's defined as an act of Chil of Shabbos so then you could tell me it doesn't matter if I'm willingly breaking Shabbos or not you say Kimele. but if I am burning down the wheat stack for purely destructive motives not for the sake of the ashes then that's not an act of Chil of Shabbos at all right? Mm. so he says what does the what does Rav's answer mean wonderful Rav said we're talking even bishogeg, but to think even bishogeg, even bishogeg means you're not a willful violator but wouldn't you still need the intent to define it as an act of chelushabbos if you're missing that intent right then presumably just because physically the act could be chelushabbos but isn't intent constituent of defining it as an act of chelushabbos not intent to violate intent to want Something constructive out of the act, intent to want the ashes out of the act. Okay, so Tosaf says actually you still do need that intent. And according to Rava, all Rava's saying is is that you don't need to be a willful violator. But Rava is not disagreeing with the fact that you would still need intent for to do something constructive. So that raises an interesting question of what is the extent of Chizkia's teaching. Chizkia says you don't need to actually be deserving of the death penalty. You just need to have done the act. Okay, even if you did not willfully it and you're not deserving of a death penalty what if I didn't have the intent that normally is defined as part of what makes the act the, the sin right would you still say Kimle in that case so Rashi says yeah because physically it's an act of Chilash Shabbos with the right intent it would have been an act of Chilash Shabbos and Tuzl says no in that case it's just not Chilash Shabbos but here intent it defines the nature of the act yes no. Yeah, a couple of things,
1: short things one is it, yeah, exactly what you're saying that would mean according to the month, for example all all the people out
0: there were oblivious of Shabbat in all ways. No, that no, oblivious still means that they didn't. They were not willing, willfully violating. But in terms of how they defined what type of an act they did, mm. like that shows us this point, Chizkia will tell you, you don't need any awareness that is relevant for, let's say, culpability. Any awareness that is relevant for what it means to be a willing violator. Okay, but you still need the intent that is necessary to define the nature of the act. Okay. I'll give you another extreme case. Let's say you had a case about me, right? Let's say you had a case that I was. That I was. Well, right, or that I was completely unaware that, like, you know, I was like, I don't know, uh, um, you know, I'm trying to think of a case. I was I was just gesticulating, and my hand, like, turned on the light switch or something like that, and the light switch is also connected to, you know, and then it started a fire, whatever, you know. As I was gesticulating, my hand knocked down a torch that started a fire that burned something. Well, would you say, oh, Kimley, because I also was Michael Shabbos. Or would you say, no, that's not a case of not willingly violating that. I didn't even... I, I, it's a completely their intent what the lack of intent means that I didn't even do the act okay mm-hmm. so I think like that's the question of how much at what stage would you say the lack of intent means that you didn't you weren't even Michal Shades. not that you were Michal Gaga. Okay. right do you find it striking at all that the language
1: of Kimle does not appear anywhere in the city?
0: well right called? so that could be because of the point that I said that the Kimle is more specifically oh well, you we have to see you're right like how that word is used but the classic more classic use of Kimle is when the punishment is imposed here okay, the yes. fact that the Chil Shabbos is so weighty that it outweighs even if there's no punishment it outweighs anything it could be a principle that's broader than Kimberley correct I just don't
1: remember could you remind me uh, like my, my ox gores somebody I have to pay hospital bills I don't have to pay workers no
0: you don't pay hospital you don't pay workers you so just that pay like, that's, better, that's better from a from a yeah we learned out that each like each yeah okay John, nothing. you have a question? I think
1: the distinction with what Bill was talking about, is that they are a distinction between Major and Shogay and Ms. kaivin was
0: Right. You mean so what's the difference between Shoging Mezid and Miskaven and Mishkavene? Okay, here is, here is exactly what you're Right. What right, right. So now I do want to say the last thing I'll say about this and we'll do next Mishnah is that Tosh actually says why did you need to say the difference between Mezid and Mitzkaven and Amy's Khaven? actually says, and this is a point that Tosl said a few times in this Masechet that the difference of Mezid is the sort of classic case about I did an act at Khayev Nisa and I did another act at the same time that would be a Tashlumim act. Like I burnt down the haystack while you know, which is both Shabbos and, and a Nezek or somebody you know shot somebody and they killed the person and they also ruined the suit with the guy's blood okay that would be a case of show, uh, that one case these Kabinem also comes to exempt you from something else which comes to exempt you from civil payment due to loss of life meaning that's a different concept somebody kills somebody unintentionally okay forget Kimle you don't have to pay for other types of liability maybe since in that case we can't like the OJ case If we can't prosecute the guy criminally, maybe at least we can make him pay civilly for loss of life. Okay, and that is also what Chizkiah is saying, is there will never be any payment for some other liability that's incurred during that time, and there also will never be any payment due to loss of life either. Okay, you can never pay for loss of life. The only thing you can do for loss of life is get prosecuted for murder. You can't get prosecuted civilly. All right, so that's also what Tosas says a little bit with those phrases. Let's take a look now at the next Mishnah. Shurjaya Rodev, these are now fun. Like now that we've got you know, we 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 did one case about parsing the case of the Torah splitting the animal. Is it Yusham Hashur Hashur? Now we get a little bit of kimle now we're gonna do a little bit of Hamozimi Haverola okay? So Shurjayarodevakhashiah. acher. one ox was running after another ox, to gore it. For and then the runner, uh, owners ran after it and found one ox on the ground, like totally, you know, bleeding. A zeal mare surely is it. So one guy says, your ox just gored my ox. Zomir. the other one says, look, you had a cell, look, no, it tripped over a rock, it wasn't my ox, so, So the one who comes to get paid, he has the burden of proof, now the question is going to be, what constitutes sufficient burden of proof, do you need two direct witnesses, let's say, the other ox had blood on its horns, you know what I'm saying, like, a, you know, let's say the, this ox had clear horn holes, in, it, in its body, right, at what stage is it considered a burden of proof, but the point is, certainly the point here, is that circumstantial evidence under many cases maybe all cases is not enough you want to prove it it's not enough that it looks like it okay now Reuven and Shimon's oxen were running after one ox on Druin one ox on Shimon. they were both running after Levi's ox then easy because somehow it was clear that one of the oxen gored maybe a witness at a distance saw an ox gore but didn't see which ox gored so Reuven said to Shimon it was your ox and Jim said to him, "No, it was your ox. they're both exempt because each one Levi can't prove from either which you know which one of them owes him money. They each say the other guy's ox did it. Okay, it's another version of Hamotzi Mechaver Raya. Now, let's say Sh- Ruvain owned both oxen. Okay? Then, then both oxen are chayev, which is a little funny way of saying it, but if Ruvain both oxen and Shimon doesn't know which ox gored, nevertheless, he knows that Reu- one of Ruvain's oxen gored, so at least he can collect money from Ruven. Now, it is a little bit of interesting, because if it's a short time and we pass him like Rebbe Akiva, if we pass him that's just a debt with a lien on the ox, then you could say, I don't care which of your oxen did it. You owe me fifty dollars or a hundred dollars. But if it's a Yuchwa sure, like Rebia Kiva, I may I might know that I own one of your oxen, but I can't prove which ox I own. Because right, if you're the fact that your ox scored means I become now an owner in your ox. So let's say I know that I owe one of your oxen, but I can't prove which one. But presumably there's some recourse there. Right? I know you have property of mine. Even if I can't exactly prove which of those oxen are mine, I know one of them is. So it's still I can still prove though that you all have property property of mine, so presumably I can somehow get some satisfaction there. Yes.
1: If we're trying to teach the principle of what's there all the the way it's structured here is Ruben and Shimlin's oxen and lady's oxen. Right wouldn't the correct teaching be for Levi to say to Ruvain your ox scored my you, you owe me money and he it wasn't
0: my ox it was his ox meaning why they say "shorchai hizik rather than shoroh hizik yeah it's true right, right. right I understand why do they have Ruvain and Shimma talking to one another Ruvain and Shimon talking to Levi yeah I do understand that but yeah it's true it was, it was a little bit more direct to frame it that way but I was wondering the same thing okay okay now now those oxen are owned by Ruvain but one of the big and one's a small ox. And they're both tom. So remember, if the small ox gored, the Nizak is going to be out money. He's not going to get full satisfaction from the value of the small ox. Okay? Hanizakomer um, So the nizak says, the big one gored, and I'm going to be able to get my, at least, full half payment out of the big one. loki No, the small little one gored you, gored your animal, and therefore you'll take the small one, but you're not going to get your full payment, full half payment. So, muad. Let's say, one of the ox, one of Reuven's ox was a tam, and one was a muad. Hanizakomer muad The says, the muad gored, and therefore I'm going to get full payment no the Tom Gordon you're only going to get half payment so Shimon has the burden of proof okay and he's not going to get full satisfaction now let's say the damaged there were two oxen that were damaged one big and one small there were two oxen that were involved in the goring one big and one small so Haniza Gomer the one who suffered the damage says and they both belong both damaged oxen belong to Shimon and both Damaging goring oxen belonged to Reuven. And let's say presumably they were both tam. So, Nizek, so, so, so so Shimon said, the big one gored the big one. So where I suffered the biggest loss, the goring of the big one, I'll be able to get paid in at least get my full half payment because it came out of your big ox, okay? And the small one came, you know, was gored by your small ox. So at least I'll get my full half payments out of this. Because an gets a katan nope that's not what happened. The small one gored your big ox, so you're not going to get your full big half payment from the big ox because you're only going to get it out of my small little one. And the the and big one gored the small one, so you'll get your full half payment for the small one, but not for the big one. Or one of the goording ox was a tam and one was a muad. The muad gored the big one, so I'll get my full payment for the big loss. The tam is a tam and the half payment, I'll get you know if for the small loss. That the Tom got the small one, but when they go you know, is was the opposite. The Thomas the the Tom Gordon the the big one. So that big payment, you're only going to get half. The muad is a and the muad got the small one, so the full payment will only be for the small one. Hamotzi mechaveil averaya. So the principle of all these is hamotzi mechaveil averaya. Very good. Okay. Amar Rabbi, let's see the grammar. Amar Rabbi Chia Baraba, zot This mission tells you that says that hamotzi mechaveil averaya. Chokim love chaver of Al Sumchis. That there's that Sumchis's colleagues disagree with him because what does Sumchis say? The Amar Mammona Mutupasavik Chokin. Sumchis says whenever there's a doubt about who owes money, you split it. Now, it doesn't mean whenever there's a doubt, right? Let's say I go over to uh, David and I say, David, that nice Maserati you have, that's mine. And you say, what are you talking about? I say, what's okay? I'll just take half of it. Okay, so, so, it's not any time there's a doubt. There has to be some objective basis. There has to be some objective basis for doubt. This case, clearly, everybody's looking at it, sees something happened. One of these animals gored. You just don't know which one. So, any normal an observer would say there's an objective suffek here, whether it was the Tom or the muah, the big or the small. So somechus would say if that's true, the circumstances basically speak to the idea that there's a question what happened. We ignore the claims and the counterclaims, and we ignore hamotemichaverah, and we just say there's no way we're going to resolve this split it. That's what Sumcha says. And this listen teaches you you don't split it. Even in the case of objective doubt you say it's The exact same you should up the first Mishan Yeah, yeah. A lot of this is uh, discussed elsewhere but cer- certainly. Okay. Um, Would Sumcha say you split it even if both one is saying you definitely owe me money. No, I definitely don't owe you money. Maybe when Sumcha says you split it's when each of the uh, the litigant say, "I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened." In that case, we'll say split it. But if the nizak is say, if the mazik, the one who you're trying to get the money from is saying, "I definitely do not owe you money." Maybe in that case, simchas would receive the idea of the, you know, of the of the muchzak and he would say if he's making a claim that he definitely does not owe the money maybe we don't say chokin maybe we say ha'motzimei so he said would Sumcha say even by bari and bari that you would split it? And I'm like yes you so your bari, bari?" even if the guy is saying I definitely don't owe you money nevertheless Sumcha says you split it mai the Now the fact that you asked it means that you understood because we were saying our Mishnah is an is an is an anti sumchis Mishnah. So and we're saying that that shows that there's a debate even in the case of bari and bari. How do you know that our mission is a case of bari and bari? To say that that position shows a, a non sumchis position when we mind who This one says your ox Zeomer Loki. No, that's not. It's the opposite. Meaning it doesn't sound like they're saying maybe your ox when he says no. Rather it was your you know the other one ox. It sounds like everybody is making a definite claim. Now so rather than saying that sumchis agrees. In that case, we're saying that even though everybody's making a definite claim, Sumchus would say you split it, and the Mishnah is in a, is in a position that disagrees with Sumchus. Okay, Um Papa, so Papa asked on this. Okay, if our Mishnah's is talking that everybody is making a definite claim, that's the beginning. It's also the end. Let's look at the end case of the Mishnah. Aim a Let's look at the end case. One was big, one was small the Nizik says the big one Gordon. I'll get my full half payment from the big one they're both Tom, and the Mazik said no only the small one Gordon. one was Tom and one was Muad the Nizek Muad Hizik and Muad did and I'll get full damages the Mazik says look no you're only getting half damages and this <laughs> is the Nine, that's the Mishnah. Everybody's making a, a bari claim. So, how I, right? What's the implication of the Mishnah? The implication of the Mishnah is that if the neither cannot prove his bigger claim, so Shaku Kodamer Mazik, he would have to. He would actually. He would at least get. What the Mazik claims, Right, like the Nizik made a big claim. The Mazik made a small claim. It says the nizik has got to prove his point. If the Nizik doesn't prove his point, presumably at least he's entitled to collect based on what the Mazik said, right? But one minute. Neimatab Etyufta the Bar Let's say that's a challenge on Robert Bar The Amar, team the Hodeh Orim, Okay, I go and I say to David, David, you owe me a pound of uh, wheat. You buy, you know, you, I, you, I, I, I gave you a pound of wheat to watch for me and he says, No you didn't, you only gave me a pound of barley. Okay, so we would say I'm I can't prove it. Now, do I say, Well at least give me the pound of barley? You at least admitted to a pound of barley? Okay, or do we say no? The fact that I said a pound of wheat meant that I was implicitly saying, you don't owe me barley. You only owe me wheat. So even though you've admitted to barley, maybe you don't have to give it to me. I never asked for barley. I implicitly was saying, you don't owe me barley. You only owe me wheat. So that's what we say. If I demand wheat and you concede barley, you don't have to pay me anything. Okay, now if that's true because my claim of wheat was a barley claim. I think I'm saying, maybe you owe me wheat. Maybe you owe me barley. I said you owe me wheat, which means only wheat. So if it's a barley claim, it excludes the other claim. So the Gemara is saying, say the same thing here, right? The music says. The big one damaged, okay? Which is implicitly saying the small one did not damage. No, not the small one. Only the big one. That's the one that damaged. So when you can see the small one, why do you have to pay anything? I've implicitly rejected your claim about the small one. If I'm making a Burry claim, then I am then I am saying the small one did not damage me. Only the big one, okay, Johnson? You got to look at your face because if,
2: it's different. It's different. if
0: here's why it's different. If it's about Muad or something of that nature. You're right. I say you owe me $200, and you say only 100 okay? So $200 includes a demand of $100. But if we're talking about a Tom, then maybe it's not different. I say I owe that animal, I own that animal, that animal gourd, and I own half of that animal. And you say, no, the small animal gourd, and you only own half of the other animal. So, but I agree. If it's all about, if it's about the circumstances, but ultimately it's a demand for cash, then it's not the same. But if it's about Tom, it is more similar right, so anyway, so the Gemara says if you're going to tell me the mission is Bari and Bari, why do I get to collect based on at least your con- what you conceded, I made a Bari claim that rejected what you were conceding, so it should be like, I asked for wheat, you said barley. I don't get anything, so okay so that's the Gemara's question, so what we will do is, we will end here, and we will pick up tomorrow with trying to figure out whether our mission is talking about Bari and Bari or Bari and Shema take the orange, Then
2: take